So I remember driving and having Hulu like on the side was I'm driving to work, listening to every single pitch that had been on Shark Tank and listening to all the questions and practicing answering those questions, mm-hmm. like memorizing numbers, uh, just because the biggest thing I, I kept hearing was know your numbers, know your numbers. So it's like, all right, what, what's our gross margin? What's this? You know, our last, like every possible scenario, just preparing for it. Welcome to the catch up. Introducing your hosts, Eli Aruth. Editor and Jeffrey Kutnick, CEO, and apparently the only guy who takes this podcast seriously. Of the craziest, most bestest, news breaking, food porn peddling, viral website on the dot coms. It's crazy when your future is decided by an algorithm. Dude, this pizza is fucking crazy. There's not one person in this entire world that believes you. All right. And welcome to the catch-up. Jeff, do you like Shark Tank? Sure. (laughs) I love Shark Tank. I know you do. I love Shark Tank. I know you love Shark Tank a lot. It's like my favorite show. It's my favorite show. You talk about it a lot. I do a lot. Um, Well, that leads me to this beautiful episode we're about to have. Uh, we're joined by Christopher Kiawe and Victor Macias. They're the co-founders of Nui Cookie. Jeff, it's a low-carb, low-sugar, keto-friendly cookie. And Jeff, I know what you're thinking. It does not suck. It's been touted by Joe Rogan. And most recently, the two dudes are riding high off a recent Shark Tank appearance. They won. The show uh, concluded with the dudes landing a $300,000 investment from A-Rod for 25% of their company, a.k.a. a $1.2 million valuation, according to the show. Uh, So I personally can't wait to hear more about everything Shark Tank, the effect it's had on you guys and in the company. Um, As a fan of your cookies, I remember when it was Keto Cookie and now it's Nui. Um, I've known Christopher for a minute, so uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. I know there's a lot of people listening that are huge Shark Tank fans. They're entrepreneurs, they're people in PR and the industry, so we're gonna, hoping to get a lot of insights from you guys. We're excited to have you both on. Welcome to the catch-up. Yeah, thank excited you so much here. for having us. <laughs> Let's get it. Let's get it. I don't. Where do you want to start, Jeff? Because I'm so, I mean, <sighs> the cookie. The cookie. I think we have to start, start with the cookie. cookie. <laughs> we got to start with the cookie and, and what you guys think makes it different. I think there's... You you walk any grocery store aisle. You walk um, in lots of different retail stores. You're gonna see a hundred brands that are doing cookies. And obviously, you guys are doing cookie in a different way, especially with uh, this rise of of alternative foods. Uh, but tell us about the cookie and and where the origin story of creating this cookie started. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so. This was just two years ago. It's kind of crazy that it's only been two years. That's it? Yeah. Um, I had just gone back from uh, getting married, and I spent my honeymoon in Hawaii, and I was, like, turning 30 and saw Muffin Top, you know, coming about. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, man, I need to do something about this. And uh, I heard about it on a podcast about the keto diet. And I was like, oh, this sounds amazing. Mental clarity, better energy. And I used to nap. I don't know if you remember uh, Eli back in the dorms. Uh, uh, Eli used to be in our dorm before. 
And Chris uh, was my RA <laughs> at the dorm that I stayed at illegally. Anyways, continue. <laughs> I used to nap all the time. And uh, when I went on the keto diet, that all went away. And it was amazing, except, you know, you, you can't have sweets. And I'm mm. like, fuck, what, what am I going to do? <laughs> what is a keto diet? Uh, the keto diet is a low-carb, high-fat diet. Um, and it's very tasty. So I know a lot of people are like, oh, diets, diets, diets. That's not, you know, how am I going to survive this? Uh, but for me, I'm a huge foodie. And I was like, oh, I can have bacon. I can have pork belly. I can have steaks. Mm-hmm. I can have. And um, it was a, that's what intrigued me because I love food. I'm like, there's no way I can give up all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I felt amazing. And uh, I told Victor about it. I was like, hey, this is a game changer. So Chris and I used to meet at coffee shops. We each had different businesses that we were working on. But as an entrepreneur, it gets really lonely, right? Yeah. So we'd meet, I think it was like on Wednesdays. And this guy comes back. He's like, dude, if you can cut out sugar. I got, back, I got back from my wedding. I'm doing this keto diet. I'm like, all right, let me try it. I'd been like a chronic yo-yo dieter, right? I tried all this stuff. I'd lose weight. Then I'd freaking redline and I'd gain it all back. So I'm like, all right, why not? Let me try it. And it's the only quote unquote diet that like worked. I lost over 40 pounds. Jeez. I get melted off. I was like, dude, this, th- there is something here. But we looked at each other like we still miss sweets. So with no bacon experience at all, we go into Chris's mom's <laughs> kitchen. We throw on some aprons and we're like, hey man, why don't we try to make a cookie? <laughs> why cookie? Why cookie? Like just, why not gummy bears? I don't know. No, I guess because a cookie is so iconic for like being something that's guilty pleasure mm-hmm. and that you should avoid and we're like you know what screw this let's let's create a, a cookie that we can eat and that is still good for you and so we asked my mom hey can we buy your ovens and she's like okay <laughs> i had no idea what a convection oven was nothing man that sounds not too dissimilar to when i asked my mom to use her kitchen for our one of our first branded content shoots of all time because we didn't have a studio we didn't and we needed to do steak prepared eight ways and i and my mom had just redone her kitchen like just redid it right so all the marble all the new ovens all the whatever and i was like mom i need your kitchen please bear with me and we're still we'll we're still startup mode at that point so that was absolutely mom saying yes to her son not toward any anything else we were so dumb too because we don't know how to cook and it was like we're gonna cook eight steak eight ways like how long could this take 30 minutes (laughs) 48 hours later we're still in the kitchen it was a lot so uh to all the moms out there uh, leasing out your kitchens on for zero dollars uh we appreciate you yeah Yeah, this goes out to you (laughs) knew we can okay so. so so did you guys have a background in so you said no baking experience so absolutely not so tell me about those first times in your mom's kitchen trying to make a product i'm assuming with google right yeah. like just what can we use what's going to make sense what can we order because i'm assuming i mean you guys talk about monk fruit in your cookies and erythritol that's, I have no idea where to get that. Yeah. And I, you know, work at a food publication. So I'm sure there might be ways I can find out. But what was your process like in the, uh, a couple of the first creations like yeah. in that kitchen? Well, first, uh, we wanted to see how to make a regular cookie. <laughs> you never so, baked a cookie. <laughs> no, we never baked before. <laughs> so how to make it from scratch. You know, we're Googling, okay, how to make a cookie from scratch. And then we're like, all right, well, we can't use that ingredient, that ingredient, because it's high in carbs. Can't use sugar, obviously, which is a key ingredient. And then we're like, all right, 
well, what can we replace it with? And then so we started Googling that, looking on forums, like, hey, how do you replace sugar? Like, how do you? And uh, people gave suggestions on like Facebook forums. And then we started experimenting. After like 20 something tries, we finally created something that we liked and had our friends, you know, had mom try it and she liked it, had friends try it. And we're like, okay, maybe and, other people might like this. And I mean, just to paint the picture, this was in the middle of summer, okay? <laughs> and then there was the AC was turned off. We we're all sweating. We, we finished these cookies. We're like, I wonder if anybody else will want them. So we decide to test it out. So I remember going on Reddit and advertising like 20 bucks on Reddit, creating a, a landing page with a stock photography uh, picture of a chocolate chip cookie and a PayPal button. And was saying, hey, I think we were selling it for like four or five bucks. And it was like crappy, crappy page. But we advertised it. And I said, okay, let's see what happens. Let's see if we have a business or not. We get one order, then three, then five, then 10, then 15. We're like, holy crap, I think we've got something here. And that was a moment we realized, okay, uh, let's really shut this down. And because we were still buying all of our ingredients retail, so we're actually <laughs> losing money on every order. But it, but that was like the springboard. We're like, okay, man, this is more than just us trying to come up with a cookie. Yeah. Thanks. Do you remember when we the first packages we sent? Oh my god. <laughs> so we, yeah, so had what no idea, we had no idea how to <laughs> ship it. So uh, uh, we literally took like a pastry bag that has wax, you know, lining and a clear window, and we put it in there. Then we shipped it out, and then. The customer like took a picture of it and sent it to us, and then like the the fats leaked into the brown bag. Oh, no. <laughs> we used to make the cookies and then put the chocolate chips after by hand on each cookie, and uh, it would like melt and look all like deformed. And we're like sending yeah. them, hoping people would like them. We didn't get too many complaints. We got a lot of pictures of oily bags, but <laughs> but not a lot of complaints. Were people just excited that they could have a cookie that worked with their diet? Yes. Is that what it was? Yeah. Like, like someone bought it and then. We got like 30 orders within like two hours. Like, where is this coming from? And someone just posted on a Facebook group and then uh, and it just took off. And at this point, it's called Keto Cookie. Yeah. Keto Cookie. Yep. yep. Okay. And yeah. do you attribute the success of why people were buying at such a fervor kind of almost immediately because of the widespread uh, use of the keto diet? Was it keto launching you guys and you guys were tapping into keto specifically? Yeah, I th I think keto was still not as cool as it is now. <laughs> it was so hype right now. <laughs> it was like, it's so hype right now. But, um, but the tribe, like it, it literally was like a tribe that were so passionate. It's like, exactly. like metalheads, right? That'll follow a band. It was like that about keto. So if somebody liked something, it would spread like wildfire. So what, what happened? So you, you sold a couple of those orders and you said you shut it down a little bit or what happened? Yeah, so we're, we're buying stu uh, ingredients at Whole Foods and losing money on every order. Don't give away our supplier. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we're like, okay, let's stop losing money. Let's uh, let's pause this uh, and, and figure this out. And then um, let's do a Kickstarter. So we did a Kickstarter uh, to get one, get some feedback and get the community involved and um, and also get pre-orders so we could buy ingredients the right way, <laughs> not at Whole Foods. What was that Kickstarter like? Like how much, um, and would you recommend Kickstarter to other people who have an idea like yours? Yeah, it was awesome. So uh, our goal was to raise $5,000 so we can move out of my mom's kitchen because she, <laughs> she was complaining that the house is getting hot. And uh, <laughs> dude, my dad was like so upset. He's like, it's like 100 degrees in here and you, you're, you're baking cookies right now. Uh, uh, but yeah, so we, uh, 
our goal was 5,000. We raised 21,000 from, I think, 600 people that we wow. didn't know. That was amazing to us uh, because these weren't like our aunties and uncles like buying our cookies. It was uh, random people. We ended up actually doing two uh, overall and raised over 100,000 total from Kickstarter. Holy cow. How does Kickstarter work? Like, do, do they own a piece of the company or is they're just funding you guys for the vision that you have and you guys, there's like tiers, they get like cookies and stuff? Exactly. So think about it like pre-orders, right? Mm. So you're telling people here, it's really big on your story. So you're sharing your story, two guys in mom's kitchen, can you help us out? We'll give you a discount. Cookies normally cost X, you'll get them for Y. Maybe you'll get a sticker, this or that. Yeah. And then people will, will pay in advance for you to deliver product later. How much do you attribute the success on Kickstarter? I mean, over $100,000 is, is a big deal, especially for a company that's brand new. Uh, I'm assuming limited baking experience, right? Um, how much was the the Kickstarter algorithm and how much is it based off of the outside factors of what you guys were doing to promote that Kickstarter? Because I think that's something that our audience could really learn from because they see things on sites like Kickstarter and they go, oh, wow, look at this Kickstarter with a million dollars raised that I should do it. But they may not see the optics of what it actually took to put that video up or to get, you know, those tears up or the aftermath of even when you raised a hundred thousand dollars, well, we have to spend 40 or 50 G's to get, just to get the product out the door, whatever that is. Tell us more about what you thought brought you success on Kickstarter. Yeah, so we uh, asked a bunch of people who did Kickstarters, and uh, one big thing we learned was all the work happens before the Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. And so most people think, oh, I'm going to put it on there, and oh, it's going to watch the money roll in, and uh, <laughs> that's not true. Like you, We uh, started about a month earlier, a little bit more I than a that. a little more than a month. Yeah. A little more than a month, and uh, got that process started. Even that's a short amount of time. And then we sent out samples to influencers, got them involved and shared about our story and our Kickstarter. And then that's how we got like, that's how pretty much how we got uh, eyeballs on the page. That's crazy. So like a month out, what do you guys like? Do you shoot a video? So we do, yeah, so we do a few things. Um, we asked people, we also looked at hacking Kickstarter articles. Okay. So we, we started looking at like um, other similar Kickstarters and who had linked to them and who had worked with them. And we start reaching out to influencers on social media, like, hey, Keto Mama, like people yeah. that are super into the, into the keto space, sending them product and then building our email list. Mm -hmm. That was huge. So we had, to, again, just a landing page, collecting emails, and that was a springboard that helped us uh, really take off. That's huge. Yeah. So what's after Kickstarter for you guys? And when does Shark Tank become part of that equation? And if there's a huge middle period before Shark Tank, want to dive in there too. But those are the things we know about you now from our perspective, right? We know you had a Kickstarter. We know you went on Shark Tank. What happened in between? So after Kickstarter, we're like, okay, this is real. <laughs> we actually have to make these cookies. And so we're literally down the street at 4th Street Market in Santa Ana and uh, uh, started baking up the cookies almost uh, burnt the kitchen down on day one yeah <laughs> wait how so because they don't know how to make cookies <laughs> <laughs> no because um we thought those ovens work like my mom's <laughs> we didn't know anything oh, so, man. Oh, so you hadn't used a commercial we've oven. never used a commercial oven wow. ever yeah. uh, and then they've uh, only used easy bakes before <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we put one cookie at a time <laughs> and we thought okay same temperature same time 
And then all of a sudden, you know, we're baking and then all the smoke starts coming up. And then we're like, oh my goodness, what's going on? We, we run to the oven and like our cookies are like burnt. They're, there's smoke coming out. There's people running in like, hey, is everything okay? And, you know, we we're like so embarrassed because it's like our first day there. And we're like, noobs. <laughs> you guys are like, it's chill. They're just smoke cookies. That's what we do. Um, so, yeah. So then that's kind of where we started. And it's been a learning process. This is probably one of the biggest hardest things that we've ever done before uh one learning how to bake and two how to market it and all that like, stuff to give you an example of the hustle it was we would wake up at 4 30 or 5 a.m go to the kitchen uh chris and i would bake cookies from like let's say 6 to 11 then we'd hop on our laptops do all of the marketing and then we do another round of baking and then finish off with another round of marketing and then around that I mean, any uh, any gap was like sending emails. I mean, it was it was awesome, but it was this next level like hustle to get sure. it going. For how long was it? Just the two of you guys doing basically everything? Because I think that's a big question from our audience group, especially when we're talking about the food bee story too. Is how long was it just you? Because obviously there are lots of things that need your attention, um, especially being founders, executives of a company. So. What triggered, all right, we need a baker or we need someone to focus on this um, at what juncture? Uh, as as much as we loved baking, <laughs> our short career of baking, uh, we realized like as quickly as possible, if, once we have the cash to do it, let's hire somebody in this space that knows way better than us. Uh, for us, it's like, how do we uh, hire people that are better than us and, and uh, know a lot more in this space. So we luckily found somebody that can help us out. So you, I mean, after the Kickstarter, you had $100,000 in cash. Did you, and then the first thing you did was get that kitchen and then start baking yourself? Yeah. Yeah, so we started baking. We got help from families and friends mm -hmm. uh, helping us out. And, uh, you know, we wanted to really just focus on the marketing side because that was like our, you know, expertise um, and uh, get out of the baking. Were you guys looking at the alternative food industry specifically for the opportunity? Because I know here at Food Beast, we've now watched, you know, for example, the ice cream category get taken over by Halo Top and Enlightened. And uh, we've worked with uh, a gummy bear company in, in Canada, Smart Sweets, that got uh, national Whole Foods distribution and you can see them as you're checking out pretty much at any Whole Foods in the country. And so there's obviously, there's a special moment happening in consumer packaged goods where the differentiating model seems to be the deck, the ingredient deck, starting with e-commerce, building social media, leveraging that's the sales and audience to retailers and then being able to get scale of some kind for for revenue growth and profitability. Did you guys see all of that ahead of time and we kind of were jumping in and looking at alternative foods? Um, or, is, or is it just as simple as we wanted a cookie and we just kept going kind of step by step? I'm curious about what you were looking at from an industry insight perspective. I, I think... Um so compared to other projects that we'd had that maybe it was like, hey, there's an opportunity, let me jump in. I think what made this unique is that we were the customer. Mm. It, was, it was genuinely to fill our own need. And then in doing that, we found a tribe that wanted that same, uh, that same experience. 
And so some of it was being strategic, but honestly it was, we were the customer. Uh, we want a product that we love. And then the marketing kind of followed that. That's so dope. So what happened with uh, Keto Cookie? What yeah, and, and, and the switch up, because yeah. I'm really curious too, because honestly, in, in the Food Beast audience, you can, you can tweet at me. I've tried a bunch of keto shit and I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't want necessarily want to start wars with other keto cookie companies, but like the product is shit. Yeah. Like protein cookies as well. Like yeah. Yeah, they might just, not be keto straight, but like protein cookies, a better for you cookie. They're not the best tasting. Yeah. And so, and you guys have, you guys have something that's, that's delicious. So I think that's, that's kind of a sidebar I wanted to mention real quick is I, I really like it. Well, the first time I had keto cookie, Chris, you brought it by <laughs> like over a year ago. It was still in the, a different wrapper. It, it looked like something you guys put together <laughs> in, in your garage. Yeah. Um, and, but what I liked about it is when I bit into it, because I've had before that like a Lenny and Larry's cookie or whatever. And I've had Quest bars and it is what it is. But when I bit into your guys' cookie, there was something weird about it where it, it felt cool in my mouth. <laughs> what the hell was that? Like it, it was like a pop of fresh cool it wasn't a mint cookie it was just what was that uh that's our fat burning technology <laughs> uh that's from our sweetener uh erythritol so it has like this slightly cooling effect mm. ref refresh feel to gotcha it. talk yeah. about monk monk fruit and erythritol because i mean at food beast we hear it all the time but i think for the average person they're still like what is it i still don't know what it is yeah is and it? i think that's something to kind of break down because you're seeing it everywhere. I think to the point where you're seeing packaging specifically put monk fruit front and center, put erythritol front and center on yeah. packaging. And I think the average person, even on your website, you guys acknowledge that erythritol is a really sciencey word. What is it and where yeah. is it coming from and how do you guys incorporate it? Yeah, for us is uh, how do we make it really easy for the consumer to understand our product? Um, so like, monk fruit like it says fruit in it so <laughs> people are like oh okay i guess it's good for me right um and erythritol is a little bit harder to under understand um but we try to explain that on our site uh and there's more and more uh education around it, and you're seeing more products with it so people are accepting it um and so i guess going back to kind of the question of like why the switch from keto cookie mm -hmm. and wait it, before you go on that yeah. but I, get to the bottom of erythritol and monk fruit because i think yeah like what is it that's what i'm asking because like, on your site you it? make fun of it like monk fruit you're say it's like from a monk or something and i was like that's cute but the fruit i get it like it's a, probably a fruit so it's natural but what is erythritol yeah, i have no or, idea what no that both is. like what okay, is it because yeah. i think again even though fruits in that word i i've never i don't know if i've seen a monk fruit i don't know what it is so i'm curious just like very simply, what are they yeah. and how do you source it? Yeah. So monk fruit is uh, it's a fruit from China. And it's kind of it's like, I guess you would compare it to the stevia here mm -hmm. in terms of its sweetness. Like it's 100 times sweeter than sugar, but it has a very low glycemic effect. So it doesn't raise your blood sugar or anything like that. And then erythritol, it sounds very sciencey and it usually gets mistaken for other sugar alcohols where people are like, oh, I, don't, I can't do sugar alcohols, right? Mm -hmm. Like maltitol. So maltitol will send you to the restroom real quick. Uh, uh, that's what people make fun of when you're like, oh, I don't know, in certain gummy are the, bears. Are yep. those, yeah, the diet gummy bears? Yeah, yeah that's yeah. what that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
you need to get clean. Calorie free gummy bears. <laughs> you paid yeah, the had, price. I had, had three bags once getting all excited. I'm like, oh crap. Yeah. And uh, we actually made our first batch of cookies with maltitol because we had no idea. And then people blew us up on, the, on, blew us up <laughs> on Facebook. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, hey, they're using maltitol. And we had no idea, right? Uh, we, we didn't like down a bunch of it. And, um, and it raised your, raises your blood sugar. So we heard back from the community and said, okay, let's, wh- what do you suggest? And they said, oh, erythritol and monk fruit. Those are really good. So erythritol doesn't get processed by the body. Um, it, and it doesn't get broken down to anything. So it just goes straight out. Uh, you don't have to run to the bathroom if you have a lot of it. So it's the easiest on the gut. And is so it an alternative it. sugar? Is that what erythritol? It's a, it's a sugar alcohol. It's a sugar alcohol. Yeah. Got it. But it doesn't give you those gnarly... Sorry, guys. I'm also eating another <laughs> of these newy cookies. I'm eating the, the fudge, which is the double chocolate. Goodness gracious. Yeah. Um, how many of these do I have to eat for it to affect me glycemically? So Chris and I <laughs> Chris and I went on an experiment. I don't know if, we, if we've told you about it. Where no. we... The, Keto cookie diet, wait, nothing but cookies for seven days. Uh, so, all right. So before we start this experiment, Chris and I go off the keto bandwagon, like, like in, run in the exact opposite direction. We're eating like crap because we, wanted, we didn't want any excuses, right? So we felt like crap during that time. But then we're like, all right, what happens if we only eat cookies and water? So we had, how many cookies a day was it? 16? Uh, 16 cookies a day. For seven days. Calories. And because we didn't want, if there was fat loss, we didn't want it to be attributed to lack of calories. Mm. So we had 16 cookies a day for seven days. And in day three, we actually got into a state of ketosis, just eating our cookie, cookies and water. That was it. And coffee. And how, do you, how do you measure the state of ketosis? So you can measure a few ways. When you're first starting out, there's like these strips that you pee on. Um, but then as you get later on into the process and you get fat adapted, you start to test blood. But um, I mean, honestly, I don't really test that often. I just go by how I feel. Like mm-hmm. I, if I start feeling food coma, then I know I had too much sugar or carbs. Yeah. Gotcha. But and you can take, test your blood and it'll show you. Like we actually do it on the video. We test our blood and it shows that we're in a state of ketosis. Do you guys feel, how do you guys feel about keto longevity? And I, and I ask that because at Food Beast, we've now covered probably, I don't know, 15 separate types of trending diets that you know whether it was when we were growing up and atkins diet was a thing uh whether it's whole 30 now whether it's going off of gluten or things of that nature how do you guys look at the prospect of keto in 10 years from now when you kind of look at the other trending diets that have happened in the past I guess the difference with keto is the, you know, you'll see results and you'll feel results. That's why it's blown up so much. Like, uh, you know, you'll, it's, it's not uncommon for people to lose 40 pounds in the span of two months. Um, and so people who have never gone to the gym before are actually excited to go to the gym because they can lose this pounds just by changing what they eat. And then the gym is the next step because I mean most, and, and, and also tastes great, right? So part of it is sticking to your diet, mm-hmm. right? And uh, like with keto, there's so much good food that you can eat that it's easier to just uh, just to sustain it. Because you didn't tell people to not eat bacon. Yeah, I mean, that's like the big thing. It's like well, in a foodie climate, foodie culture, like you're telling me, oh, hey, keto, you can go ahead and eat that bacon, dude. Yeah. Go ahead. Exactly. Can you eat rice on keto? 
No rice. Cauliflower, <laughs> cauliflower rice. Yeah. Cauliflower rice. Yeah. That's but there's also a lot, of, a lot of research coming into it. So we've gone to a few conferences where there's doctors that are studying the effects of keto on cancer, on diabetes. Mm. You know, there's kids with epilepsy that are on a ketogenic diet. So compared to, let's say, other quote-unquote fad diets, there's a lot of data and research that's coming out. Yeah. Like my dad, um, he was actually, he found out he's pre-diabetic. And uh, for him, rice is his guilty pleasure. Like he yeah. was a the rice Nazi, like if, before he gets home, there has to be rice ready, right? And uh, I said, hey, you got to cut out the rice. And we got him on a keto diet and he lowered his uh, blood sugars and wow. uh, he lost a ton of weight. And he's like, oh, I love this stuff. And for someone that rice has been part of his life for what, like f- 55, 60 years yeah. um, is uh, a huge step. And so we see it as staying here. Let's go back to the brand change now because... Yeah. You guys were the keto cookie, and I think when I saw it, which was probably after you saw it, because I saw it with pretty nice packaging and, and tried one. Uh, that's a pretty good namesake, right? Keto cookie, especially for the audience that you were wor- working with. I don't know if that was there's a trademark stuff or whatever, but what was the switch up to to be the brand now and and how do you and pronouncing it again is Nui? Yeah. So from keto from keto cookie to Nui, why? Yeah, so <laughs> that was a big, big conversation that we had maybe about a, a year before it even happened, right? Um, was hey, this is great, but we're realizing more people are looking for a cookie that are not on the keto diet. People mm-hmm. are still wondering, like, hey, is this right for me? Cause I'm not keto, right? And so we actually uh, we're at a low carb conference and like this six foot four guy, bald headed with muscles bulging out of his shirt, his dress shirt comes up to our table and says, Hey, you guys are my heroes. I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, it's like, uh, my son has type one diabetes. And for the first time I can put a cookie in his lunchbox and not have to worry about it. And that's when we kind of knew that this is bigger than keto, that people just need something that's low in sugar that also tastes great. Right. Mm. And so, uh, we want to make it easy for that parent or for that person that's just looking for a low sugar alternative to be able to just grab it and say, you know, not question if it's if they're keto or not and if it's good for them or not. So that's when we decided to change the name. And if you if you look at a lot of these diets, whether it's paleo, whole 30 keto, the lead domino is sugar, mm. right? It's really cutting out carbs, cutting out sugar. So if we can make that lead domino easy, uh, we feel that that's kind of the, the most impact we can have. You're a good fit for a lot of other diets too. I think like exactly. keto cookie got you in the door, but like, whoa, shit, low sugar, low carb. Uh, it's not low carb, is it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's low yeah. carb. Perfect. Well, so there you go. So, uh, how do you get on Shark Tank? <laughs> I mean, it's like serious because it's for also that. Well, and, well, and, here's the thing, and also and why? Because yeah. I think that's a, a really big question because you read, you know, entrepreneurial articles about oh, uh, we just want the shark tank blip in sales even if you know people going into it probably not ready to accept any deal of any kind necessarily Mm. but they just want the tv exposure i don't know i know you had a question eli about the product scarcity is in a lot of reviews of the product is that like a big enough problem where you wanted to raise money to get more product and ample product and be able to deliver to the demand that you have. I'm curious, what's the, what was the business ecosystem like for you guys to go? 
yeah, let's look at Shark Tank. Um, or was it just as simple as that? We should be because well, I Shark saw Tank. the bloggers and, and influencers you're talking about. That shit's real. Like people were talking about your cookie, and then right after, it'd be like, get it because they sell out. And I'm like, why does a consumer packaged goods sell out? Like, figure your shit out, Chris. <laughs> like, get it together, bro. And like, but is that were you guys doing that to be cool? Were you doing it to make like the the streetwear drop, yeah, yeah, the streetwear drop, CPG equivalent. It made me want to like. It makes someone want to buy. If it's like, yeah. hey, this is tight, get it while it's available, right? That's a thing. But I'm guessing that's not really why you guys were doing it. No, oh, well, that's part of it. I mean, we before that we were <laughs> we were hand scooping a hundred thousand cookies a month. We had twelve, uh, a team of twelve, hand scooping like an yeah. army. and so hands. What does that mean? What does hand scooping a cookie? <laughs> so it's literally an ice cream scoop, and then they scoop the dough, and then put on a tray and flatten it. And we were doing that. And we're like, okay, we can't do this forever, and so we need to find a way to scale. And for us, like, we literally came in with what, like, three grand each to start the business. And have just built it based off of that, and we needed capital. We we yep. we naively thought that we could just self fund this whole thing. Like we're not millionaires or anything that we could just throw money at this. And we're like we got to get someone involved. And like how about you know people keep telling us why don't you go on Shark Tank? You know our family and friends. Why don't you guys go on Shark Tank? I'm like well, why don't we go on Shark Tank? <laughs> were you considering Shark Tank in addition to any other types of financing? Were you guys making rounds for private investment? Were you guys thinking about a third Kickstarter or a GoFundMe or something on like a larger scale now that you guys maybe had a better product, better branding, the name shift? How was Shark Take like, this is the best option, we should go for it? Or was it one that just presented itself to you after you guys applied? Uh, we were looking at uh, getting investors involved. Um, but we also realized, like, I don't know if I've ever heard of from someone that said Shark Tank was a, was the worst thing that ever happened to us, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and and for us, like, we're always about like trying to swing for the fences. And we literally like, hey, we, what do we lose by applying to this? We lose just a day, you know, of time. Uh, we actually were at Food Expo West uh, at that time. And then decided to go the next day to Morongo Casino where they had the open casting call. Oh, so it's like a, sh it's an open casting call like that. So yeah, what what walk me through going to Morongo? Obviously, you drop some money in a in a slot machine or something. <laughs> of course. And then what happened? So we we get there thinking we're early. All right, we're like, oh man, we're, let's get let's get there early. We're tired from the night before, and there's a freaking line wrapped around Morongo. At, I think we were like number one thousand in line. No joke. We're standing there. We're like, holy crap! And it was like, it was like American Idol. There's all it types like of characters, man. There's people with like dogs doing backflips. There's <laughs> there are people like <laughs> with all types of inventions. And how long did we end up being there? So we were there from I think like 8 a.m. and then we weren't seen until 8 p.m. And we were so tired because we were networking like the night before. And uh, we were like, should we just get a room at Morongo, take a nap? <laughs> we end up napping in our car like that day. And then uh, then we start rehearsing over and over again to the point where we're losing our voice by the time we get to the, the casting agent over there. And then we finally got to do our pitch. And yeah. What was the room like for that pitch? I mean, how many people were there? How much did you actually practice? Did it help? Give me... Like, tell me the whole story of that pitch in that room that got you on that show. Because 
everyone who is starting a business is looking at Shark Tank as a platform to be launched off of. So I guess what we can say is you have to take your whole story and condense it, what, a minute? Yeah. To a minute. So you have to think of everything you want to say. How can you tie in a story and what is the one main takeaway? So we have that and then we're practicing and refining, refining. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of times that we were practicing, walking around uh, Morongo, sitting by the pool, <laughs> on the slots, <laughs> whatever whatever it took, just practicing and practicing. And then like randomly, we'd be walking and be like, I'd smack Chris, he'd be like, hey guys, how's it going? <laughs> we'd, go, like, we'd go right into, like, it, was a, it was a reflex, dude, we'd practice that much. Is the open casting call, do you feel like they're looking more for the personality and the people, or do they actually, does the person care about the business? Because you're not talking to Mr. Wonderful there. You're talking to someone who can recognize talent, I'm assuming, just as good as they can recognize a business. Is that like, should you go in there and be loud and lavish and then hope that your business stands out? Or what, what do you recommend? Well, you gotta, you just got to stand out from a thousand people, right? right? So like, start asking that question, like, how can I stand out? How can I do a pitch that's way different from anything else they've ever seen? And, uh, and also like, you gotta have a business too that that's actually functioning, mm. <laughs> you know, you can't go in there, but just like, Oh, I, I put these two rods together and created this broom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, my, that's my next business idea. <laughs> and, uh, it's actually gotta have traction. So, uh, they want something with traction. Cause you, when you go in the tank, you know, it's a real deal. Like it's actually going, uh, to investors. So like approaching it, like you're going to regular investors. And so you, and you want to hook them with with your story. It really is the heartstrings, and it's it's great if you're in an emerging market, right? Like being a keto snack definitely, I'm sure, helped. Mm -hmm. But it's how do you in a minute? How do you connect them to to that story of two founders that would ideally make for good TV? So you were Nui at that point. We were keto cooking. We <laughs> rebranded. We rebranded yeah. in between. Whoa! Did you have to tell them? Like, because did they tell you on the spot? Hey, you guys are good for the next round or something? How does that work? <laughs> uh well we we did let them know that we changed our name yeah yeah and then we moved along in the process was that your like test be like yo let's see if nui's a good name <laughs> they spit on it <laughs> what is this okay and then that happens and 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 what can you tell us about like pre-production of the show and when whatever you can say about the pre-production versus the negotiation versus the time that you spent in that room, the nervous energy, I'm assuming, kind of building up all to that, however much time you have in that room, what were the interactions like? Like, I have a thousand questions. It's yeah. probably just easier for you guys just to talk about whatever you can in your full experience because, you know, what's the between the lines of the episode that we've watched? Yeah, so... Uh I'd love to answer all those questions. <laughs> we uh, signed like this big ass document. <laughs> say what we can and can't say. <laughs> um, but I can share how we felt um, going leading up to the show and how we prepared for it. Yeah. Um, like we would prepare every which way, uh, fully caffeinated, so we're super amped up. We're like jittery. Mm -hmm. uh, we do it sleep deprived. Uh, we so we took this from. Uh, from uh, Destiny's Child, because uh, I remember watching a documentary and seeing they're like, oh yeah, we would run up the hills and sing, so we would be able to sing and be out of breath, right? Oh. Um, and I'm like, oh, we should totally try that. <laughs> so we started doing kettlebell swings and push-ups and, and then uh, do our pitch, right? Practice our pitch and we're out of breath and our heart rate's up and we have to get the words out. 
And uh, Ima- tight, imagine like a like a one a.m. phone call from Chris. Hey, how's it going? Hey, sharks, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> Every which we didn't want to leave any room for nervous for nerves or anything to get in the way. That's fascinating because like we've all been in our fair share of kind of high pressure meetings, and I I was like, damn, I'm like out of breath. I'm like sweating. I'm so nervous. You don't realize the physicality of. A high pressure meeting, and yeah, damn, that's great. So you read that about Destiny's Child, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Destiny's and then we Child tried Guide it. to Keto, yeah, and to I, Shark Tank. It helped. It helped out a lot, and then we started doing. Uh, so to get our nerves down, we would do power poses. So we'd like, you know, in the back doing like power poses, spreading our arms out, you know, trying to uh, increase our testosterone, decrease our cortisol. So there's all this like. <laughs> <laughs> and, no, and, and, and we do meditation so we're like trying with all this and we're still running a business we're like we have to keep our mental health up so we'd be going to the gym we'd be meditating uh, eating keto I mean everything we could to, to move put the chips in our favor so I don't know you may or may not be able to answer but how much time did you guys take in preparing from you know the moment that you're gonna be on the show and I don't know if that's a quick turn and you're just on the show but how much time did you guys spend? You, you guys, it sounded like you spent eight hours of your day at Morongo preparing your one minute. How did that, how did you guys then adapt to whatever you're going to present and inclusive of what's on your screen or what your display is or whatever? How did that adapt from Morongo to the show? That's a great question. <laughs> uh, it was an evolution. So we took our our pitch was 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 different. Um, the, we understood to get us to be on TV was going to be way different than what got us to actually be in the process, mm. right? So we looked at all the other pitches on YouTube, like what people did, uh, other shows. I'm like, okay, I think this is the format that we need to have it in and, and get people's attention. Um, at the end of the day, it's got to be great TV, right? And so we're like, how do you make this great TV, you know, and just go at it that angle and share our story um, and then go from there. So I think that's how we started our approach and preparing our, our pitch and our questions and all that. Like we, we fielded a ton of questions to prepare. So I remember driving and having Hulu like on the side was I'm driving to work, listening to every single pitch that had been on Shark Tank and listening to all the questions and practicing answering those questions, mm-hmm. like memorizing numbers, uh, just because the biggest thing I, I kept hearing was know your numbers, know your numbers. So it's like, all right, what, what's our gross margin? What's this? You know, our last, like every possible scenario, just preparing for it. I mean, you came out of the gate with numbers. on. For those who haven't seen the episode yet, definitely highly recommend going to watch it. But out of the gate, you guys wow them. You wowed me with like, hey, our last month, we did a million, over a million dollars in sales. Like, all right, mic drop. Like, you guys <laughs> asked the questions, Mr. Wonderful. Like, what a great way to lead is with the numbers. Um, I'm still curious, though, how much time elapses between the open casting call? Do they say there, like, hey, we like you on the show? And then... What happens? No, uh, I think we can say, I mean, they, they don't. When you're there, it's kind of like, all right, we'll see. So we uh-huh. did all that prep, and then uh-huh. it's like, the interesting thing was balancing your hopes for getting on the show with running a business. Yeah. So it's like, hey, if this happens, it would be amazing. Let's plan this, this, and this. And then you go back to like, but if it doesn't, we can't run our business that way. So it was this balance of work as if nothing, but still have that, that in your back pocket. If it happens, how can we pivot? And I, I mean, because that's... 
one in one thousand. Yeah, that's one in one thousand on the casting day at Morongo. <laughs> yeah. That's not. That's not. Who knows what other casting days the they have York, in different parts of the country, right? Like that's. I mean, that tells me more about the odds that you guys defied to get on that show because it makes sense. It makes sense that it's like an American Idol. The way, the way people watch that show, the businesses that have been launched on that show. It makes sense that there's high competition. To well, get speaks involved. a lot about you guys too, and what it takes to be an entrepreneur. That whether you're looking for sh- to Shark Tank for funding or to a bank for funding or to VCs, like you, you always have to have that balance of well, if this VC doesn't offer me anything, I still have to run my business the next yeah. day. If you give a shit about it, so I mean, so this is gonna be fascinating leading up to Shark the Shark Tank night. So like. You guys, eventually, I'm assuming you get some sort of callback. Like, yep. hey, like you guys are on. We like you. And there's like a production day. I'm just going to say, watch you guys nod until you tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> okay. So there's a production day. You guys show up to this production day. Um, can you guys tell me if, because uh, I'm assuming they shoot a shit ton of people. Uh, they, they film a lot of uh, entrepreneurs coming on. Maybe not all of them make the final cut. Like, I don't know if someone throws up on stage uh, during the pitch. They're just like, uh, this oh, doesn't really if fit. someone threw up on they stage. Probably <laughs> it, you know, that's way probably too good for TV. <laughs> true, true, true. We thought about peeing in our pants. And maybe that would get us on for sure. But uh, luckily we didn't have to do that. <laughs> um, oh, so how long after Morongo do you guys film an episode? Like, is that months? Is it next week? Can you fill us in there? Because that's important for the timing. Because you're also yeah. running. Your business is only two years old, so it can't be longer than that. Um, yep. So anything there? Yeah. 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 We filmed in the summertime. Okay. Yeah. So we filmed in the summertime. Uh, obviously, it's different. Like the amount of time you're going to wait. Sometimes you don't. You know, they're not going to call you for that season. Mm. Um, but oh, okay. it, it just it just depends. And, and then, then during from, that, we decide to rebrand. <laughs> so we're having to contact people, letting them know, hey, I know, you know, I know you guys are excited about us here, but hey, we kind of changed our name in the middle of it and just making sure that that was still cool. We're still good to go. Yeah. OK. And so uh, let's speed through it. You know, you're going to pitch to the Sharks. Um, let's assume you guys you have a great day uh, pitching like you you realize that you got a deal that day with a rod. Can you let's let's talk through that day now. Uh in the episode that I watched, Mark Cuban, one of my favorite sharks, he's out first. He and he does this thing. He's like all this cool shit about your company, and for that reason, I'm out. Uh, <laughs> how does that feel having Mark Cuban say like I can't, I can't fuck with your company? It was all right. So for one, this is surreal. Like it was the first time we had met the sharks. Like they they know nothing about our business. We walk we walk in. Hearts pounding. Uh, I remember. Oh man! When I looked back, like we talked really fast. <laughs> like I didn't expect to be talking that fast. I'm like, wow, we were we were really nervous. But then it's like this guy you look up to, freaking Mark Cuban, is there and he's just like giving you feedback on your business. You're like, uh huh, uh huh, yeah. And then Mr. Wonderful, you're like, ah, dude, I just don't want him to tear my ass apart. <laughs> and and he's giving, like, it's to describe how surreal everything is. You're seeing Mark Cuban, and then. It's a blast of everybody trying to get your attention at the same time. You get a deal here. Wait, somebody pulls you here. And under the lights, you're having to make these calculations. Oh, well, you know, I'm going to offer you this much, but with this much royalty and this much line of credit. We're like, oh, <laughs> wait, let me get my calculator out and my notebook. <laughs> exactly. So then you're, you're looking 
Uh, so in the end, I mean, when Mark opted out, for me, it was just kind of the honor to just be there and know that I pitched in front of Mark Cuban. Was it a relief? You're like, cool, one less dude to worry about. <laughs> uh, like, hey, <laughs> hey uh, we'll, we'll throw in an extra percentage if you get me on the Mavericks to, <laughs> to try out and play for. <laughs> I mean, for the record, though, he it, it's not because he didn't like your company. I think he was uh, the reason why he was out was because he had another company potentially in the space. And for him, he didn't even know if it conflicted or was a conflict of interest. He's just like, it's easier for me to be out, which was probably kind of a relief. You're like, Correct. cool, I can now focus on four of these investors. Yeah. I didn't realize how hard that is. You guys are talking about numbers, making a deal, defining this company, and you guys don't have like paper out I mean, or especially, folders. Especially from our context, because for example, I've been working on a line of credit for Foodbees for three months. <laughs> like relate. I've been talking, I've been talking to bankers, yeah. multiple bankers. I've been getting options. I've had to reconcile paperwork to make sure that whatever we're presenting is as legit as possible for the past three years. So I can only imagine when someone's like, "By the way, I want three percent royalties, and I'll give you a line of credit." Blah blah blah. That yeah, under those lights with that <laughs> adrenaline pumping that I, uh, uh yes, uh, because do we look like idiots if we go in the show and don't take a deal of some kind? I mean, that's got to be weighing on you. would be weighing on me to, in order for me to say no, like, what are you actually turning down? Right. Yeah. I mean, we, from the episode, we know you guys are, are funded with a rod, but do you guys feel like there was a sports tie or a health tie that made him specifically more applicable and why he was more excited about it. Chris, do you have to talk about the dream? <laughs> the dream. Did he tell you about the dream? No, tell oh, us about the dream. The dream. All right. So uh, about before you we went even on the show, <laughs> I had this dream about some celebrity eating our cookies. Random dream. Random dream. And it just so happens that celebrity was J-Lo. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh this is before we know that a, a rod could even be one of the judges yeah I mean, it was just this random dream that he talked to me yeah about. and then so then uh we find out that he's going to be on there and then uh i tell victor hey i had a dream that j-lo was eating her cookies and then he's like i think this is a sign <laughs> <laughs> i think this is a sign so then uh you know uh when we get to the show when we're trying to decide you know, we're looking at each other. We're like, J-Lo. <laughs> so when, like, when you're like whispering, you know, they see us, we're like, J-Lo. Were you guys really saying J-Lo? <laughs> That's so we funny. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, we went from intuition and we're like, okay, I think this is a sign. You know, mm -hmm. if, uh, if anything could happen, you'd have a dream about J-Lo before any of this uh, comes into fruition. And then uh, we're like, all right, I think this is a sign. Can, can we back up one second? Can you please visualize the dream that you had? Because, <laughs> like, like, is that it? It's just J-Lo sitting on a bench eating your cookie? Was what slow-mo? Yeah, what else happened? <laughs> what else happened, Chris? You didn't just let J-Lo oh, eat a, a cookie. Oh, it's just a regular old J-Lo cookie dream. <laughs> what kind of cookie was it? Uh, you like, I, I just want to chime in. Uh, Chris loves his wife very, very much. <laughs> no, but in college, I, I used to have a poster of J-Lo on my wall. <laughs> <laughs> wow, the roots are deep. Yeah, no, you, no, but uh, you can't talk about your no, business partner. Actually, also, right backing out now, bro. No, no, That's no, like, it's, it's actually a, a very nice dream. Just, just regular dream. It was literally just. I think it was like bright light in the back, and her sitting at a at like a kitchen table mm -hmm. and eating her cookies. 
like world of dance channel for tonight that's a that's that's a that's pretty much it i think you guys just described your first 15 second tv spot (laughs) (laughs) like bright light j-lo eating a cookie i mean with a-rod as an investor the world is your oyster right Mm. as it as it relates to potentially JLo, at least, I imagine. Yeah. So I guess something to point out to it, it wasn't like we threw everything out the window and, and we just like, hey, this dream, let's just close our eyes and go for it. <laughs> it, it, it really wasn't. Um, one of the things that we do as a company is, uh, so we meditate together as a company. We also have like affirmation and visualization. I don't mean it in the sense that you close your eyes and then the world comes to you. It's more of like, there's kind of, I believe that if you focus on certain things, things tend to present themselves. And I, I believe that after all that work, that was kind of like the, hey, something here, there's something here. And that's why with everything else, analyzing all the other deals, then we decided to move forward. What of the other deals sounded interesting to you? Because they, they seemed somewhat similar. Um, they, were, they were really close other than the personalities I think were driving. There were... Um, a few deals that had like royalties, residual royalties. Like how, how much of that did you guys know going in like that we don't want royalties or anything like that? Because it, it whittled down to three sharks yep. right towards the end. And I don't know how long before well, they jumped let's out. Let's go over but, the options yeah. because for the people that haven't watched the episode, I yeah. think it's kind of important what you guys were evaluating to then go through some of your emotions. I don't remember the specifics, but what were what were the options? And did you like, well, I, I remember Mr. Wonderful's uh, option was something like, uh, was he giving you all the cash that you wanted and then a little bit of royalty? It was it was the cash and then royalty up until it was paid off. And then it was another like lower royalty in perpetuity. Mm, and you didn't like you didn't like that. No, uh, like for us, um, cash flow is huge. So mm-hmm. one of the things we kind of knew going in is we didn't want anything with with ongoing uh, royalties. Mm-hmm. So we were kind of bummed out when Barbara. She did the same. She too. had that caveat. Like we know that Barbara's worked with other health brands as well. Yeah. So it would have been it would have been cool. Um, but just that residual that royalty kind of that made it hard. Kicker. That was a kicker. I mean, uh, A Rod was asking for more in equity, and I know that ended up being a fun entertaining back and forth between you guys both of you guys were about to leave it on the table too like uh he what did he want initially he wanted you you got what what was your initial offer going in like what did you guys want from the sharks um we were was it 300 for 300 for 10 percent yeah so you guys went in uh with a three million dollar valuation on your company Mm -hmm. and that was ever it was a little too rich according to the sharks yeah um and then you and A-Rod had a moment. So what what, what was that like? What, what were you guys thinking about? And were you guys in fear of A-Rod bluffing or A-Rod walking away from the deal? Um, I think part of it is just meeting each other halfway and knowing that this is a process that we're going to, you know, come together to. I think in, in, in any negotiation, you want it to feel like everybody wins. Yeah. And so that's kind of how we approached it. Because A-Rod brought up a really cool, like, yo, do you want, let's make this pie huge. And like, and then he threw out this line, like, let's all cut $100 million checks. <laughs> like, when he said that, were you guys just like, yeah, A-Rod's it? Because <laughs> no one else said that. Mr. Wonderful did his normal thing where he was like, your cookie tastes like sand. Here's an offer. <laughs> like, was that was that the move too? Like, him saying that, that 
the idea of like let's grow this pie to be huge and let's stop nickel and diming over this percentage i think uh personally it was we want somebody that connects with our story mm. so when he brought up like the the immigrant family or he talked about the phd poor hungry and driven mm. Like to me personally, I was like, all right, I, I want to work with somebody that that knows that hustle, you know, that knows that knows what it's like. And at first, you know, when we started this business, it was like hey, three grand each. Let's see how big we can grow it. As we've been in this process, we realized the value of making the pie bigger. It's okay to get a smaller slice of a bigger pie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and both of you guys have that immigrant, like, like, like has that that must have been the beautiful tie between you and a-rod both of you guys filipino where, where were you victor you were born here in santa oh, with us though yeah born here my parents immigrated from mexico nice nice i mean that's crazy so what happens leading up to that night so you guys know you got the deal um you can't tell anyone i'm assuming like how little can you tell like do you even tell your parents nobody 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 <laughs> it's, it's like this weird thing that only chris and i can like look at each other. we had a code name for it it was uh it was fight club <laughs> okay but so you know uh you finally get like an air date for the episode i'm assuming um how do you guys prep for that night like knowing the episode's going to air i think things change right like the investment comes in uh actually t- talk to me about what happens after the investment comes in so what do you guys do with that money what immediately changes with the business because you guys needed the money you said a lot for uh infrastructure and supply chain like you guys couldn't keep up with the demand on your cookie and that was a real issue that wasn't a fabricated like we're trying to build up this hype um and so a rod felt that you guys are together on that so what do you use the money for immediately and then talk to me about leading up and prepping for the night the episode airs yeah uh so we had to ramp up production really quickly Mm -hmm. uh so like oh my goodness they were talking like trying to see what other companies are doing in terms of the first few weeks. And we're like, all right, we got to get cookies out the door. Yeah. <laughs> and so we start ramping up. We, uh, It was a lot of sleepless nights because we're like, man, we have to make sure we capitalize on this opportunity. Like, it's easy to just say, oh, you know what? We're on Shark Tank. Let's uh, sit back, relax, have a beer. And um, But for us, we're like, you know what? This is just the beginning of something bigger. And so let's approach it that way. And so we were like looking at our site, make sure our site doesn't break. Yeah. You know, we called Shopify or like, hey, can you just make sure this is in the middle of Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Yeah. So so just imagine how much traffic is coming in. And we're like, hey, just can you just make sure our site is up? And then so we check on our Amazon, make sure everything's good. And yeah. And then prepare our customer service because we know we're going to get a lot of customer service tickets. And so it's like a huge preparation. It felt like it was like preparing for... Uh, well, both of our, us are married, but preparing for a wedding, it's like you're, you know, we're, but we're the wedding coordinators. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if that's a great analogy, but <laughs> I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> but that's, I, mean, but I think where the analogy makes sense is that it's the second most important moment of your life, right? Yes. I think that's where at least I glean from it is as much as coordinating a wedding is can be a job and the magnitude of the person in that wedding yeah. is this this you're building a moment that's going to be representative of the rest of your life so i think i get i like i think i understand it in theory this is a monumental moment prepare like it's going to be versus not being prepared and Absolutely. i think and i think a big part too is we know this is a once in a lifetime opportunity we wanted to make sure that we maximized it like we wanted to make sure that when it happens we didn't leave anything on the table so something we've learned since we started this business is 
never sit back and just say, all right, cool. It's like, how can you double down? How can you maximize if something is working? So that's why we built up our infrastructure. We had customer service waiting. We had more product ready. We, I mean, things that would take six weeks, you know, took a week. If you drop that Shark Tank name, stuff moves. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what are you guys doing night of? Are you watching it at home? Is everything already set at work? So you're not, are you guys together? What's going on? Night of, uh, hung out at my parents' house. So yeah. we were... We were thinking we were thinking of potentially making it a strategic thing where it's like, hey, let's have certain people here. But it was at that point, it was such a long journey that like personally, I wanted to sit down with my daughter on my lap and watch it and just like take mm -hmm. it in. So Chris's parents came over my pa to my parents' house, aunts and uncles had a ton of food, had our laptops out just in case. And we just watched it and tried to soak it in. Just watch those orders roll in. Like, is the Shark Tank effect real? Can you walk us through what the effect is like? You don't have to get into explicit numbers, but like, give us some, give us some, give us some idea. Yeah, it's, it's very real. <laughs> <laughs> um, definitely orders were uh, way more than, you know, we've ever experienced. Mm -hmm. um, even with our launches, like probably it, it exceeded, in one day we exceeded our Kickstarters, like wow. combined. At least, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we had, you know how you can view live analytics, right? Mm -hmm. So we're looking at it and you got to keep in mind, there's the East Coast airing and the West Coast airing. Oh, so there's so, waves. So we had to kind of hack our way to see the East Coast airing to make sure that we're watching it live with, with everybody else. Mm -hmm. And you just see on the phone, all the little dots of people on the East Coast, just thousands of people at once yeah. on your website. And you want to make sure... Are we converting them properly? We had Shark Tank exclusive deals. Like, yeah. how do you make sure that you're capitalizing that traffic as much as possible? And one thing we wanted to also do is include everybody that has been with us on this journey because mm -hmm. it's been a journey, yeah. <laughs> you know, and we're really grateful to have uh, a community that's very passionate about our product. And so we got influencers, we got people on our Instagram involved. It's like, hey, you know, post, uh, watch our Shark Tank episode and post a story. And this was just like a great way to celebrate with everybody, like one big party. Because it wasn't just us on stage. It was accumulation of all these different stories that have gotten us to that point. Does Shark Tank walk you through how to get ready for a night like that? Or does A-Rod and his team or nothing? It's just like, go handle your shit. <laughs> I mean, the make thing the best use of yeah, it. Yeah, the closest thing I can put it to is like a launch of a new flavor or a launch of a rebrand. It's just, it's a new launch and you have to be prepared. But there's nobody holding your hand or walking you through it. Dang. I mean, and this is fresh. Like, so we can't even ask you questions of how it feels. Like, the episode aired two or three days ago. Like, yeah. this is insane. Yeah, first interview we've done since. There we go. Yeah, you got there the exclusive. <laughs> Shout out to him. <laughs> is there anything you can say related to, like, percentage-wise, the, the amount of impact that you guys are going through? Whether that's, you know, is in addition to... When you guys accept that investment, you now are owners in a million dollar company, right? That's, that's, that's what valuation does. You are listed on paper. You have a million dollar company. Is the impact that being on that show, is that, effect, is that large enough that it's affecting your valuation? Do you feel like because you're not only for the investment of that show, but that show airing is the second wave of, I'm going to be able to get retail business because of this, because we have a Shark Tank logo on our one sheet. Our e-commerce, we jumped 15,000 email subscribers on, t on top of orders or whatever that is. That's going to long-term affect our business in the next two to five years. If you had to guess, what's that worth? And not 
I don't need the money wise because I don't need to go in the specific financials of your business, but how much impact that percentage wise to that valuation, how much, I don't know. I'm just trying to understand because it seems like there's two big waves happening. One, A-Rod invested, right? Mm-hmm. You, and that's legit. That's $300,000 of investment. That's, seri- that's serious money at a serious valuation. And then now the show airs and I think there's a whole nother wave of of how that can bring impact to your business. Or give us numbers. Go for it. <laughs> we can't necessarily talk about the deal, um, but we can say that it just Shark Tank just makes everything easier, right? Like people are actually reaching out to us on LinkedIn. There are other investors re- reaching out. VCs are reaching out. It's it's yeah. it's totally changed the perspective of us. Um, it's almost like, I don't know, like a, a badge. Like, oh, you got a badge mm-hmm. of honor, you know, that you're on Shark Tank. And uh, companies that we've talked to that have been on the show, they're like, it just makes retail that much easier because it just dropped Shark Tank, you know, like, oh, yeah, Shark Tank. And, um, and so it's made it really easy for us in terms of just getting connections and, and access to where we didn't have access before. It's like a ticket to the front of the line on some places where you kind of weren't even noticed. Yeah. Were you guys retail distributed already, like at a GNC or something like that? No, we've been all e-commerce. All e-commerce. Yeah, we've been all e-commerce. So, And, and I don't mean to jump backwards too, but it's kind of in that vein. You guys... I don't want to gloss over what you guys did without Shark Tank. Like you guys did a million dollars in a month before. Yeah, over, over 12 months. Over 12 months. Yes. Either way, incredible. How are you guys doing that for folks that are at home wanting to do their own e-com? Like was it paid advertising that you were just optimizing and beautifully? Yeah. Like how? How are you doing that? And then I'm sure you're going to do that now to the nth degree, you know, with your new resources. But how are you doing that right before the show? Yeah, so we, uh, I think one of the biggest things is we built a community. So uh, reaching out to influencers, sharing our story, and, and the mission is real, you know. Uh, Victor and I, yeah, we could, you know, cash out or anything like that. But for us, it's like we have an opportunity to make an impact. I think going back to the question is like, why did you guys start this? It was for ourselves. And we realized that this was way bigger than ourselves, that we can actually help people, um, you know, in the, in the bigger space of things. I've had other business endeavors that it felt like I was pushing it uphill, trying to convince people to buy it. This, if it's a great product, the marketing is quote unquote easy, right? So it's just, you have to make sure that you're continuing to tell the story and you're continuing uh, to look at the channels that work best. So 80-20 analysis, right? Of all of the marketing channels, which specific uh, two are working the best and how do you double, uh, double down on those? It's always about that. Uh, every day we start the list with uh, our day with like a, what we call MITs. What are that? So most important tasks. So there is no freaking way in the world that we can do everything that is on our list. So what are the three most important things that are going to have the biggest impact? Just knock those out. What's the lead domino that makes everything else easier? Mm-hmm. As long as we do that and we look at all aspects of our business in that way. Honestly, if I look back, I think that's what helped us get here. We know how to focus on what's important and knock that out first. And tactile wise, I think what I want to get at is like, was Instagram working for you guys? Was Facebook working? You mentioned email. Um, Can you talk a little bit about those platforms and how you optimize them? What was working more? What was working less? Where was the best use of your money advertising wise? Definitely. So in the beginning, um, what got us here is Instagram was huge. Mm. So 
when we were barely starting, I mean, we were doing DMs to people because keto was so new, right? Now yeah. it's a little more saturated, but we were messaging people and just offering product. That gave us momentum that we leveraged into other areas, into email. Mm -hmm. We spend very little on paid ads. It's mostly word of mouth, but focusing on, I hate the word influencers, but really it's, it's building relationships with influencers that genuinely love our brand and connect with us, and they love talking about us. And that has gotten us to podcasts. So it's like, mm -hmm. how do you take what works and how do you double down? How do you roll it over into the next? How do you roll it over into the next? And it just compounds. Does that help? Yeah, that, that's that's what I wanted to hear. Yeah. So it's cool. It was a lot of like organic stuff early yeah. on. You were just hit, hitting the pavement, the DMs of people, getting the right people, having the product. What's next for Nui? Like where, like what are you going to use? Like is retail on the forefront? Are you guys going to continue to be e-com? A-Rod seemed geeking about e-com. So is that like, does it throw you off your path to start going after GNCs and Whole Foods? Or is that all part of the future? We know there's a lot of space to grow in the e-com space, so we're really focusing on that. That's going to be like our, our main channel and then eventually work into retail. So we're, we're planning on retail in Q1, late mm. Q1. And uh, it's just a retail is a whole nother monster, <laughs> like just to get placement and all the expenses. And we have to have our supply chain ready. And so there's a lot of things that are uh, involved in that process. So you guys have all the elements of an entrepreneur story that qualifies for hustle porn. <laughs> I love and hustle like, porn. I, and awesome. Eli loves it. I don't love it. And, and he, I don't love hustle porn. I love the term that you just sure. used. That's so funny. Yeah, and it's, well, it's not my term. It's, that's We've the, heard that's, it around. That's the actual term of... Like the Gary V shit. <clears throat> the Gary like, V, right. Like relish in <clears throat> the pain of hustling. And... And I don't doubt that you guys were spending restless nights figuring out how to bake and kind of doing all that. But I guess my question is, what's what's life actually like now and what do you plan it to be um, as it relates to your family or your work or your uh, your daughter? Because as a chief executive of this company, I have lots of balance. And as much as it's better resonating to tell the story that I'm working 24-7, I'm really not. And in order for me to thrive as an executive, I need that rejuvenation time in order to be able uh, to make the decisions that matter. If I have, you know, the, the priority things that I need to do in the day like you guys need to talk about. I execute it better with eight hours of sleep and... <laughs> and coming back from vacation and things like that and that never gets talked about the the same yeah. and i think that's why i want to ask you like what your lives are like and what you plan it to be like because um i don't believe anyone's working 24 7 I and the people agree. that say that they do i think are lying right and i think that's where and even if you were doing it for 24 hours you're dead you're dead the next day <laughs> and i think that's i'm tr what's the balance for you guys in in your work-life balance it's definitely progressed over the course of the two years that we've been around i think one of the great things about you know our business partnership is uh, and friendship is that we bounce ideas of how we manage this so like i've learned a lot from victor like he's the one that taught me meditation i'm like there's no way i can focus for like even a minute, you know, uh, on my breath or anything like that. Um, and he got me into meditation. And so we started thinking of like, how do we make sure that we're always sharp 
And so I, before I used to like, all right, well, I can go with five, six hours of sleep. And now like I prioritize sleep uh, very much. So I sleep at least seven and a half, eight hours a day. And I know that when I don't, that I feel like crap the next day and I can't execute. And then the other piece is like going to the gym, you know, even if it's like 30 minutes, you know, at least I could uh, feel better and uh, mentally there when I get to work, even if it's 30 minutes away from work. So part of it's like sharpening the saw, because if you just, you know, if you, if you overwork it, you're not going to, you know, cut through whatever you're trying to cut through. Um, so just taking that break to, to really uh, sharpen the saw. That's a fire analogy, dog. That was tight. <laughs> the saw, I'm going to use that. If I, Baker, if what I, about you? Yeah, if I break down, um, so there's this book that I love. It's called Deep Work. Mm-hmm. And it's basically, it's kind of how I like to structure my week. So on Sundays, I do like a weekly review. And then I look at the main buckets of my life. And then in my calendar, I'll block off with different colors. So like kid, kid time is yellow. Deep work time, which is like high impact stuff where, hey, phone's off. Don't freaking bother me. I got to get shit done. It's purple. Me time is blue, right? Like redundant email stuff that kind of isn't uh, too valuable. It's red. So if I look like if I feel like I'm getting out of balance, I'll look at my calendar and I'll look at the color of everything that I'm doing. And I'll say, hey, you know what? (laughs) Not enough blue. There's not enough yellow. Hey, you know what? Uh, Things have been tough at home. So you are completely right. Nobody can do this. It, doing that at first helped get the momentum going. But in order to be like at our very best, I prioritize between seven and eight hours of sleep. I have the aura ring that shows me the quality of sleep that I get. But it's only in blocking. The hard thing is blocking it out because it becomes so easy as an entrepreneur to say, well, let me take that meeting or let me do this. Let me do that. But if you block it out, things will change. But that's been one of the big things that's helped me have, quote unquote, balance. How did you guys know that you wanted to go into business together as partners? Uh, Eli and I talk about a good amount on this podcast uh, just because we've had uh, a partnership with fellow our fellow partner Rudy and, and others for a long time now. But jumping into a business from earlier in the conversation, you guys talked about meeting up at a coffee shop. What about each other made it so appealing to go hey, let's build a business together, and then we're having success. Let's continue building this together uh, because the partnership is probably the easiest way to destroy a business as well as it is to create a business. So I'm curious about what you guys thought of when you were putting this business together. Yeah. The early days in the coffee shop were really important because we we would bounce ideas off each other and help each other each uh, each other out with our businesses and so we kind of got an idea of how we each worked mm. and um i mean partnership is like a marriage yeah. it's like marriage without the sex you know <laughs> and, and, <laughs> well sex um, is the money so <laughs> <laughs> um but like we we kind of knew how we worked and we learned more even so when we joined together and we we had the same values of you know one we want to make an impact and two you know uh, uh, you know we want to have something better for our families and also like honesty integrity you know we we fit together in that way and so we knew okay whatever we do it's going to be great and um, and it's just been a great process because we've been learning from each other like there's a lot of places where I feel I'm lacking that I can rely on Victor to kind of show me some direction on that. How did you guys meet? <laughs> so, um, small world, right? I used to, 
as I had kind of my side hustle, I, I used to be a consultant for a small business development center. Mm-hmm. And then uh, along come, we had this thing called the Youth Entrepreneurship Program. And al- along uh, comes Chris, you know, with his, uh, his tutoring company. And he was a part of it. I was a facilitator for it. And from there, we just became friends. But I mean, this guy had, had hustle, had drive, had this freaking like laser focus. And from there, we just became friends. And again, it wasn't like, hey, let's start a business. We hung out. I saw how he worked in his company. He saw how I worked. And slowly, in a weird way, kind of like dating. I mean, we weren't even thinking about going into business together, but we, we learned, like, this guy, uh, we stretched each other, right? So if I wasn't reading something new, he was reading something new. If I, if I didn't have a new podcast, he had a different podcast. We were always kind of learning and growing from each other. And it started from that. It's tight. Not everyone can get that. You guys are awesome. Do you guys think about competition and and how much Mm -hmm. do you think about it? Because as much as so much of the success can be attributed to your hard work, there's now more opportunity than ever for someone to start an e-commerce business, develop a product, uh, go viral in some form or fashion. Um, There's also a ton of startups specifically in your space and have been in it for longer and then you're also looking at the CPG behemoths, you know, the Mondelezes of the world are looking at the category, they're making investments, they're buying companies. Where do you guys fit in that space and how much do you think about it or is it, you know, control what you can control? How do you guys approach competition? Uh, so I think, so we've actually created the first keto-friendly cookie at that time. And since then, there's been a ton of companies that popped up. And it's easy to get distracted, right? Like, oh, this this person popped up. But for us, it's like, okay, let's really focus on what we do really well. Let's focus on where we want to be. And so for us, we're not just competing against like the, the big low-carb companies. In reality, we're trying to compete with the Nabiscos, you know, in, in terms of getting people by taste and texture. You talk about those protein cookie companies, like, man, it tastes like protein. Like, why would I want to eat that? And for us, it's like, how do we grab the average consumer? And it's got to be from tasted texture. And so we are have pretty high goals for this. It sounds crazy. And we're trying to figure it out. We're trying to get people that are much smarter than us in this space um, and just learn and quickly grow. But we, we like, we're, we're trying to appeal to the average person that is just trying to get healthier but doesn't know how to. I love that you guys had no experience, like no experience baking. Because like it's kind of a fun thread in really dope entrepreneurs where they don't really know shit about the space they're getting into. Other than they, like if you knew how to bake a cookie before, like if you had 10 years baking experience, you would have never – you probably one would have been like – Cookies should never not have tons of butter and real sugar. Like you, you would have been turned off by it. You guys were probably not equipped at that point, but it was you guys being so green to the space, green to business, and not if you knew enough about the cookie space and the pro. Like you probably have been like, dang, Quest is probably doing a bunch of shit. They probably got a lab that's doing the same thing. Like, well, the second we put it out, they'll probably crush us and look like look what happened. You guys went out did it they're probably trying to do they're trying to keep up with what you guys are doing um in that cookie space but there's something about being green being genuinely naive about stuff uh do you guys attribute a lot of it to like just not knowing shit about that stuff that helps that helps a lot man i mean we have the hunger and we have the drive right that's where the the phd comes in right poor hungry and driven you just want to succeed so bad you want something to grow you want to connect with people 
and it's it's good to be kind of naive sometimes and just figure it out as you go. Um, somebody has a, a great analogy of entrepreneurship is uh, jumping off of a cliff and building a parachute on the way down. Mm. That's really what it is. That's what it's been like for us. Just do it, man. Get well, that Reddit out of. <laughs> Post Shark Shark Tank. What's the weirdest email, text, or phone call that you've gotten yeah. since this? national stage of popularity and perceived success. I think success is to me is a bit more longer term, mm. but knowing the ADD culture of everyone that's kind of watching everything, it's like Christopher's on Shark Tank. I haven't talked to him for six months, but I want to be attributed to his success because that's the biggest thing in my network that I've seen. How much of that are you getting and what's the weirdest example of that? So uh, somebody on our team got an email from Christopher Kiawit uh, and realized it wasn't Christopher Kiawit. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, I need your phone number and I need your email ASAP. Uh, ASAP. Like they reached out to our, our uh, the one that the person that does our marketing. Oh my God. So that um, I've had family in uh, my dad's from a small town in Mexico. So, but they're all connected via Facebook. So I have cousins that I haven't seen in years that are messaging or friends from elementary school. <laughs> like, I mean, it's, it's humbling and it's awesome, you know, to get the well wishes. But it was the first time that as soon as the show finished, got off air, my phone was just like, bzz, 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 and it was, it was surreal. That's so tight. It, what's the misconception? I mean, you guys got $300,000. The average person at home is probably like, dope, you can afford $300,000 worth of stuff immediately and you're going to buy me dinner. Like, that's not the case. It's going right into your business. You're not rich overnight. Like, are you, are you guys dealing with that kind of in the three days that you, the shows are aired? Like, are people asking you for money? No, 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 nothing like that. Yeah, we're like, not yet. That's good. Chris, let me hold something, dog. (laughs) I think once we're millionaires, then maybe. Uh, But, you know, we're very fortunate to have like a great family, great friends that are genuinely care about us, even if we haven't talked to them in a while, that, uh, you know, they they'd be so proud and happy to just reach out, you know, and it is a beautiful thing. This is a very beautiful thing to just hear from people who I haven't heard from. No, it didn't feel like, oh, you're only reaching out to me for because you want something. Exactly, yeah. exactly. It, like we had to stop and, and really slow down and reflect. And just because with all this, you're going so fast that if you don't stop to really soak it in, I mean, we did. And I just just practicing gratitude because people don't have to reach out. The fact that they're doing mm-hmm. so is is great. They're only doing it because they want to share the love. This is the fun part. Yeah. I mean, the two years you guys led up to strike is the fun part. And then this is still the fun part, figuring out how to handle all these orders. The fun part is next. Like, that's really important just to realize what parts of this you should be enjoying. Because, like, you know, for you guys, there will be a payday. There'll continue to be in whatever capacity that is, whether it's getting a new store or whatever. But this is the fun part. And so it's cool to see you guys with fucking smiles on your face and and understanding how to take a few beats to, to enjoy it. How do you guys feel about long-term ownership of your business? Uh, we could talk about hypotheticals a lot, but you know, if a year from now Nabisco comes down your door and is offering you $10 million to get out, is the mission stronger than the dollar in that example? Because I think in all situations, even for Eli and I, media business, there's probably a dollar amount that like we'd have to consider because mm-hmm. you'd be stupid not to consider it. But how far does the mission go for you guys as it relates to your business um, versus 
if there's a business opportunity in the next couple of years, is that something that really interests you and drives you uh, to build your business uh, into, you know, bigger revenue models or things of that nature? Yeah. Uh, right now, it's really focusing on the mission. And if someone does come knock on our door, I think part of it, I mean, there's going to be a lot of things we're going to consider is like, one, you know, can we can we still grow this thing exponentially? Or, or the, can someone do it better and we just hand the keys over, right? And two, is, is it a substantial amount that make a huge, huge difference um, in our in our lifestyle? Um, and so I guess this is going to be something that's going to be more like a game time decision and assessing like where are we at at this point and how, uh, how do we feel? Are we still energetic about this company? And um, if not, then maybe it's time to, to sell. But for us, it's like let's focus on the mission. The mission will lead to other bigger opportunities. Yeah, there's a lot of big players that are getting into the game uh, of low sugar. So as long as if a Nabisco fits the mission, uh, I mean, we'd be we'd be open to considering it. Yeah, and you'd be surprised with those companies that have been, you know, uh, for the longest time they've been giving out, you know, like cookies that are terrible for you, but now they're starting to understand that people are reaching for something healthier for themselves. Yep. Yeah. yeah, there's no reason they can't be about the same mission that you are. I mean, and frankly, if they want to succeed, they should be about some of that mission. So where can our audience go buy cookies and learn more about you guys, social website, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Go to eat and on social media, it's eat Nui, E A T N U I. And you can also find us on Amazon. So check us out on Amazon. Oh, you just brought that up. And I got, and I had a question actually with Amazon specifically, how how impactful is Amazon for a, a startup e-commerce company? Because every startup that I see in the CPG space uh, is on Amazon for the most part is using AdWords to send people to Amazon. I'm assuming there's an infrastructure from a shipping perspective, e-commerce perspective, conversion perspective that's hard to emulate. And so you kind of have to be on there. But I'm sure you would love if people bought it straight from eatnui.com, right? So what's what's that relationship like and the nuances of liking it for potentially volume, I'm assuming, but also trying to encourage people to go through you directly whenever possible? Am I kind of close in that scenario that uh, in my head? Yeah. Uh, well, it's kind of, of a love-hate relationship. Um, there are definitely a lot of uh, stuff that are very positive at Amazon. One thing that we try to lead with in terms of our decisions is how do we make it very easy for the consumer to find us? And most people will search on Amazon before they even search on Google, mm. right? And so we're like, okay, we need to go on Amazon. And I mean, they have their own challenges, like they would ship our boxes in these envelopes that oh, would get man. crushed by uh, the mail. Uh, uh, yeah, but, try getting Amazon to change the way they ship. Yeah. <laughs> <nope>. <laughs> But the positives outweigh the negatives, and that's why we decided to just go with it. Uh, one, just to make it very easy for people to find us. Is there any third co third party commerce alternative to Amazon that gives you any sort of impact? The funded e-commerce companies, and I can't remember, is like Jet one of them? Yeah. Or is, is anything on your radar outside of Amazon? Because uh, I've, ne I've never heard of one. Uh, at least from a CPG company that's trying to drive sales through e-commerce, is there anything else on your radar? Because I'm just curious. I I only hear of Amazon, the own and operated, and Amazon. 
Yeah, we're honestly trying to learn more about those other e-commerce sites. Uh, one of them is like Thrive Market, which specializes in health food. Mm-hmm. Um, the I mean, there's Jet, obviously, and Walmart. Um, but for us, it's like, okay, let's crush it on our site and let's crush it on Amazon and then eventually roll out to these other sites. Dude, Amazon's kind of like in the e-commerce space, there's Amazon and then your owned and operated site. It's kind of like for us on media, we're like, we would love if people watch video Foodbeast videos on foodbeast.com, but like we need the network effect of the Facebooks and the YouTube. Because mm-hmm. yeah, if you want to see the 16 pound tomahawk steak, you might search Facebook and YouTube first before you go to foodbeast.com. So it's just like this catch 22 that you guys have to deal with as well. That's pretty, that's pretty fascinating correlation. Yeah. And well, part of, part of, uh, brand building is you got to feel like you're everywhere. Mm-hmm. Right. And so traditionally before e-commerce, <laughs> it was like you'd be in retail stores, brick and mortar and as many stores as you can. And nowadays you could just be everywhere digitally, yeah. which is pretty insane. Well, you guys have a, I think it's like 17% off on your site right now. So go buy those newly cookies right now. Um, and tweet at us, Jeffrey Kutnick, uh, at Food Beast, let us know how those cookies taste. Find mm-hmm. us on Instagram, DM us about those cookies, and uh, and make sure to follow these guys. Eat Nui, keep it going, guys. Congratulations, thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. thanks for Much coming on the pod. You. This is really fun. Thank Appreciate it. <laughs>